Yes, we had a wonderful time at Brother Clark's this afternoon. And, uh, you know, really, uh, we sat around for a couple hours and everybody kind of was telling their part of the story, how we all got together and where the Lord led us to and what he led us away from and into. And really, when you sit there and do that, it's good, good to do that. Yes, sir. Because I was thinking today, uh, <clears throat> Heather and I prayed before we come over here, and I was just thinking of, um, you know, God is interested in you personally. He's interested in me. He's interested in you. And he orchestrates things. And man, you look over the last uh, 20 years of life, it's amazing. I can't believe I'm standing in this pulpit tonight with an open King James Bible getting ready to preach another night of a revival in a church that I uh, um, appreciate for a pastor that I love. And uh, just it's just amazing, and uh, it's just going to get better from here, amen. And uh, so we got a lot to look forward to. There may be some rocky places, we understand all that, but man, we got the Lord. I love that passage there in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He abideth faithful, amen, and uh, he cannot deny himself, and if you're a part of him, he'll never, he'll never, uh, he'll never forsake you, amen, and uh, he's got a plan, and I'm glad to be a part of it, amen. Let's go to Romans, the book of Romans tonight, and uh, last night was some heavy plowing, but uh, I talked with your pastor, we were talking a little bit about that. Those subjects are painful to deal with, and some people just don't want to deal with them, and the devil doesn't want you dealing with them. So he'll work to distract you or make you think, well, I've heard about these kind of things before. But the truth of the matter is, uh, we need to hear that kind of stuff. And uh, tonight is a little bit happier subject. Hallelujah. And uh, so you can, uh, you can get excited. I love the book of Romans. What a wonderful book. And uh, the more you study, you can study the book of Romans all your life and never get to the bottom of it. Uh, it is rich. And these, these chapters, you've heard of it, Romans 6, 7, and 8 over the last few years, have taken on a fresh meaning for me personally. And I can tell you this, that Jesus Christ did not save us so that we could continue to be what we were. And, uh, and there, I'm thankful that we have a faithful high priest that we can go back to and tell him when we failed and talk to him knowing that he is still there and he is still with us and he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. But I also know that he has equipped us that uh, I heard one guy describe it as elevator Christianity. One day you're up, the next day you're down. One day you're up, the next day you're down. You're, uh, you're going back to your old uh, sin patterns and, uh, and then confessing and, uh, you know, and then sinning and confessing and sinning and confessing and sinning. And, and it starts this bad cycle and you finally get to the place where you say, well... I'm just always just going to be this old sinner that always is just kind of the guy that can't really get it together. Those preachers that I hear preach, they've got it together. And uh, there's people at church that serve down there. They've got it together, but I'll never have it together. And of course, if you're thinking like that, it's because the devil has led you down a path in your thoughts. Romans 6 shows us that God not only saved us, but that he has equipped us. And uh, you don't have to live a life of defeat and depression. And even if you stumble, you've got a faithful high priest. And uh, I'm glad for that. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's read Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 down to verse 14. And I want to preach to you tonight a, a message that the Lord has put on my heart. I preached this a few places. And uh, I know that it has helped me. And I trust that it will help you. Romans chapter 6. Let's begin reading together in verse 1. The Bible says, What shall we say then? And the first thing you ought to do when you read a question like that is, What's he talking about? What's this question referring to? What shall we say then? In other words, he has just said something that brings up a question. He says, so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, in other words, from now on, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. 
That's a great statement right there. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore, because of what you just read, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. And by the way, what you're reading, you don't have to guess what that means. He mentions mortal body. That's the body of flesh that you're in tonight. It has members, your hands, your feet, your, ear, your ears, your eyes. All of those things can be yielded over to sin. But he says now that uh, you're a new creature, you don't have to do that. You don't have to obey the lusts of your flesh. He says, verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. And I want to preach a message on the full gospel tonight. Guy asked me one time, he goes, uh, he's coming out of jail. We were going in. He says, what kind of preacher are you? He said, you a full gospel preacher? I said, yes, sir. Praise the Lord, so am I. I said, amen, the death, the burial, and resurrection. That's the full gospel. Sometimes the problem with Baptists is we don't apply it in its fullness. But it needs to be applied. Remember I told you Sunday morning, maybe we ought to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. What did I mean by that? I'm going to try to get into a little bit of that tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the music. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints this week and tonight. Thank you for the good spirit. I appreciate Brother Tierbach being able to make it in. I appreciate, Lord, the privilege of standing here. Lord, I'm excited about this subject. Lord, and the, and the, the little bit of light that you've given me on this, I pray, Lord, that I could... Uh, communicate that to your people tonight. And Lord, maybe tonight would be a pivot point in some saint's life that's struggling, thinking they'll never do any better than they're doing. God, help me. And I pray you'd meet with us. Lord, without you, I can do nothing. I can't preach, can't do anything without you. So please come and use me tonight. And Father, I pray that you would be honored. I pray that you would be pleased with all that is said and done in this place. I pray that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. And I pray, Lord, we'd leave fresh and ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And I'm about to say thank you. You can, be, you can be seated. See how tradition gets a hold of your mind? Amen. Y'all were already seated. But uh, here is Romans 6. And I think that many times we, I don't want to say get hung up in Romans 3, 4, and 5, because that's a great place to get hung up. But uh, sometimes after we have come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, understanding fully and, and believing upon Him in, uh, for what He did for us, the fact that He died for us, sometimes we fail to get over there in Romans 6, 7, and 8 and, and, and go on under perfection, if you will. In other words, to go on with what Calvary actually did, not just for us in the, in the terms of justifying us, but how also Calvary and the work that was done there we are such a part of that, that that also has everything to do with our sanctification. And, uh, you know, many times, if you think about it, when he starts off with these questions, Paul is a brilliant mind. Paul was uh, raised up under Dr. Gamaliel. You can read about him. This guy was brilliant, educated man. And when you go through the book of Romans, it's like I picture the apostle Paul in front of a jury in a courtroom and he is coming through and he has given all of the reasons why salvation by grace through faith is scriptural. It's the only reasonable thing. And he's going through and knocking down <clears throat> false ideas about it and bringing out the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what a good preacher and teacher will do is he will ask questions. And sometimes while you're preaching and teaching, it's good to ask questions. Out, well, what does that mean? How does that apply? Because that's what your audience is thinking. And so he'll ask a question and then turn around and give you the answer. And so he asks some questions to start off chapter 6 
what shall we say then? Well, what do you, what, to what? To what he just got through explaining all through Romans 3, 4, and 5. You know the layout of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 is an indictment against all humanity. It's Paul bringing the charge of sin and guilt upon the human race, both Jew and Gentile. And he goes through all of that. And by the way, he spends two and a half chapters proving that from the scriptures before he brings in the redemptive note of Jesus Christ. Now, soul winner, that ought to help you. Okay, right. we, we want to run to the redemptive note. And I'm, I understand that, but listen to me. God taught me something. He says, when you're dealing with unsaved people who are blind to the gospel, my friend, they're not interested in a, in a bleeding sacrificial savior if they don't think there's anything wrong with them. You're, are you interested in, in hearing what your cancer doctor would have to say about, hey, why don't you come down next week? Let's start chemo treatments. I don't think so. I think I'm okay. But if he came in with an x-ray that showed you that you've got aggressive cancer that's fast moving, these shadows right here, if you don't do something, you will die with this. You know what you're going to do? You're going to sober up. You're going to say, what can be done about this? And you know something I found out? When people get under conviction, they begin to ask questions. In the Bible, listen, the soul winner, the, the one that presents the preacher, the witness that presents the gospel, he starts off asking questions, but by the end of the conversation, that person is now asking some questions. Because if they really believe they're going to die and face God in the filthy rags of their own self-righteousness and be cast out of His presence into a lake of fire where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, hey amen, if they really believe that, they're going to have some questions about what should I do? What can I do about this? I heard a guy uh, somewhere in the Bible, I can hear his voice now, a man who had just a few hours earlier had thrust Paul and Silas into the inner prison. Suddenly he comes busting into their cell and he says, Sirs, on his knees, what must I do to be saved? It's called that. Listen, work with God. The Spirit of God can still bring conviction. Paul spends two and a half chapters of the book of Romans showing the indictment. At the close of Romans 3, he brings in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4 is all about how that to him that worketh not, glory to God, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know what mankind's problem is? The problem is God demands and requires perfection. Sinless perfection. You want to go to heaven? You got to have one thing, sinless perfection. I was on a street corner having our public ministry and a man came by 40 years old, had some questions. He'd gotten a track coming through uh, the uh, intersection. He drove uh, away about 20 minutes later. He pulled in and he motioned me over to the car. We started talking and uh, he finally got out of the car, said, let's go over to my truck here. I said, I got a Bible. Let's talk some more. He had some legitimate questions. He was a, 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 a veteran and uh, he came over. We were talking and I said, uh, to his name was Brian. I said, Brian, there's one thing God requires for you to get into heaven. Because he said, my grandmother's a Roman Catholic and my wife is a non-denom and my dad says I just need to be baptized. I said, forget all that religious stuff. Just, just forget you ever heard anything they ever said. I said, there's just one requirement to get into heaven. I said, that is sinless perfection. Do you know what his response was? <laughs> That's a good response. You know why he laughed like that? Because he knows if that's the requirement, who has any hope? Well, so the problem is sinless perfection is all that God requires. So the problem is we can't go because we have not produced it. So what did God do in his love? He provided it. Remember what that verse said I, I quoted? To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. God counts us righteous when we bow the knee and receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. But we're good Baptists. I'm preaching to a lot of saved people in here tonight. You understand that. You know that. Listen, Jesus' blood washes our sins away. He, it's a takeaway and also a give. He takes the sins away, casts them as far as the east is from the west. I love that in the Bible, east from west. He didn't say he cast them as far as the north is from the south. You say, why? Because if you go north on a globe, you will eventually get to a place where you're going south. You can measure north and south. You cannot measure east and west. You take off going east, you get to the other side of the globe, you're still going east. So it's an eternal separation from sin. Isn't that wonderful? So his blood takes our sins away, but then he clothes us with something. He gives us perfect righteousness because 
Jesus Christ, listen, His life on earth is crucial that He lived a sinless, holy life. He offered up obedience on our behalf. His blood takes our sins away, but we got to have more than a takeaway. We have to have somebody give us what we got to have. What do we got to have? We got to have righteousness. God made Him to be a sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He gives us righteousness. This is wonderful. So Paul goes on expounding all of this through Romans 4 and Romans 5. Remember our, our question, what shall we say then? We're looking at what it was he said that we, we have to deal with. Because look, look back in your Bible. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 19. Romans 5 verse 19. What a great verse. I've fallen in love with this verse over the last year. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, Jesus kept the law perfectly. It says, by the obedience of one, that's the, not the second Adam, but the last Adam. You know why he's not the second Adam? Because the word, the, the number two means there might be a number three and a number four and a number five. No, there's the last Adam. That means it ends right here. There's Adam and then there's the last Adam. There'll not be another. So Adam got us into the mess that we read about and the last Adam got us out of it. Because it says, by the obedience of one, that's the Lord Jesus Christ shall many be made righteous. Now watch verse 20. Moreover, the law entered. Why did the law come in? To save us? Of course not. But that the offense might abound. The law agitates sin. It makes us aware of sin. The law has a purpose, but it has its limits. It was never given. Tell this to every religious person in your family. It was never given to make anybody perfect or to give us righteousness. You say, well, there's nothing wrong with the law. No, there's something wrong with us. The law was fine. It's holy, just, righteous, and good. Paul says that. But the weakness is in our flesh. And so the law comes along and says, this is what God requires. And when you begin to measure yourself against that standard, you realize how far short. Listen, when Paul says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that's him concluding his arguments. We, we started, the, and, and I'm not throwing off on anybody, but I'm telling you, your society in America has changed. And those soul-winning manuals from the 1950s and 60s are not very good for today. Say, why? Because they start you with Romans 3.23, and I understand that. But listen to me. When I turn to Romans 3.23, you know when I realized one day I stand in the driveway, a guy was washing his van, we were out making some visits, and I walked up, he let me open the Bible. So I did what I'd been trained to do and what I'd read about doing. And, and it's a good place to start, but don't, don't leave there too quick. And here's what I mean. I read to him, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he, you know what his answer was? And I noticed this is almost universal in our society. Oh, yeah, nobody's perfect, man. So that was supposed to be a verse that convicted his heart. He wasn't under conviction. He was comforted by that. That's right, ain't nobody perfect. But see, when you take the law and bring the law in... When it does its work, it begins to put its finger on, you're guilty here, you're guilty here, you're guilty here, and you're guilty here, and you're going to hell. Because you're a lawbreaker. So what you find out when you measure yourself against the standard of the law, you find out that I fall so short, God has no choice if he's just and holy, and friend, he is. I'm not talking about that idol God, I-D-O-L, that Americans make up. Well, my God would never... Yeah, we know your God wouldn't because He doesn't exist except in your mind. We're talking about the God of the Bible. And the holy God of the Bible will not compromise His holiness to bring sinners into heaven. So he goes on to say this, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. So it makes sin abound. Everywhere you look, you're going, man, I've fallen short. But here's the message, here's the statement that Paul has to deal with. He says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now you understand he is saying, you know what he just said? I mean, let me put it to you in dangerous terms. You will never and you cannot out the grace of God. Now, does that make you a little nervous even as a Baptist? You say, well, yeah, you can't, but boy, I wouldn't say it like that. Paul did. He said, where sin abounded, grace did much more. It outran it. It went farther than sin. Listen, old Lester Roloff sang, his blood goes deeper than the stain is gone. 
Well, Paul says the grace goes farther than the sin has gone. That sounds daring. It almost sounds dangerous. So Paul says, wait. He, 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 the Holy Ghost leading Paul's pen says, now right here we've got to deal with something that has crept into the carnal mind right here. Because when you hear a statement that glorious, that where my sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what the carnal man, the confused man says? He says, well then, it doesn't matter how you live. Because you just said it, preacher. The grace of God goes further than my sin. So if the grace of God goes further than my sin, why should we just go out and sin all we want? That's what carnal people think. That's what lost people think. Paul stops to deal with that objection because, listen, the Holy Spirit of God anticipates that mindset. The Holy Ghost of God uh, knows that if you preach the grace of God as it really is, if you preach the gospel of the grace of God the way God put it out there, that you're going to be charged with that. I heard, uh, I think it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said one time, he said, if you are never charged with antinomianism, he said, what is that? Let me put it to you on Southern Baptist terms here. <laughs> I'm, when I say Southern Baptist, I mean we're Baptists and we're in the South. How about that? How about that? Is that okay? All right. <clears throat> Baptist is a good word, so is Southern, just not together. All right. So he... <laughs> Here's the deal. What he's saying is this. If no one has ever told you after you preach the gospel, well, if I believe what you believe, then I just go out and live any way I wanted to. If no one's ever said that to you, here's what he said. That is a good test to tell whether or not you're really preaching the gospel of the grace of God or not. Because if no one ever says that, then that means that you're adding something that man can do in there and men will never complain about a man who preaches that you can save yourself. If you add, you can preach the cross as long as you add in something else that, hey, man can do this. They'll never, never argue. But if you knock the props out from under man's efforts and his works and his good deeds and you say, all of that accounts, uh, Paul says, it's less than nothing. It's dung. It's filthy rags. It counts for Zippo. The best you can do will land you in hell. What you need to do is, is cast yourself upon the mercy of God in Christ Jesus at the cross. That's the only hope you have. And anything you bring to the table, God's going to reject. Cain doesn't like that. Makes him mad enough to kill. And you say, what's the point? The point is this. The, the carnal mind says, hey, if that's what you believe, then I guess it doesn't matter how we live. And if no one's ever charged you with that, maybe you've never really preached the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul says, what shall we say then? To what? To this idea that grace goes farther uh, than our sin does. He, he, he asks this question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid. So if, if that's your mentality, you, you've missed it. Because here's what the grace of God does. Here's what the blood of Christ does. It justifies, but it sanctifies as well. You remember we sing that great old hymn, and I'm sure you sing it here too, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Have you ever stopped to think about what you're singing? It's good to think about those words. He says, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed, listen, be of sin the double cure. Double cure. A double cure? Who's ever heard of a double cure? Oh, The writer knew about the double cure, save from wrath, justification, and make me pure, sanctification. He does both works through the cross. And so Paul is now going to bring in a whole new aspect of the gospel in Romans chapter 6. And somehow or another, I don't know why this never grabbed me before it did, but it's an exciting study. And it's liberating because I'm going to tell you something. What he tells you in Romans 6 is what you're going to have to believe about yourself. It's given you more to believe about the gospel. And it's more than just being justified now. It's going to translate the gospel and Calvary into everyday practical living. Where we got to have it. And when you begin to look here, it gets pretty exciting. You say, why? Because he's going to show you that Calvary affects your day-to-day life. Now look from verse 3 to verse 7. He says this, know you not... That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. And you know, part of the reason half, half Baptists can't even get into studying this. Because they want to argue about what kind of baptism this is. But let me just tell you something. <clears throat> I do not believe, and I think your pastor is in agreement on this. I do not believe that's water. Okay. Uh, because I can't put a man into Jesus Christ. I can put him into water as a picture 
of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's a divine baptism. A spirit, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The Holy Ghost has to identify us with Christ and put us into Jesus Christ and put him into us. Why, if I was the one that was putting men into Christ, I'll tell you what, I'd start charging. And I know some religions that do that. So this is a divine thing. This is a, this is a baptism, according to Colossians chapter 2, and an operation, quote, made without hands. Not my hands can do it. Nobody can. But God can do it. And it says this. It says, as many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That baptism is a picture of this, water baptism is. But don't get, don't get hung up on baptism right here. Think about what he's saying. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This has to do with your practical Christian living. There's something there it's telling us about. He says this in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin. So I want you to see, number one in Romans 6, that there is an identification with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Not just to justify us now and in the day of judgment, but one that we are identified with him right now. His death is said to be our death. We're so, uh, we're so connected to him. We're so uh, in such union with him that his death is counted as our death. His burial is counted as our burial. His resurrection has raised up a new man on the inside of us. And it says right there that the old man is dead. He's been put to death. He's crucified. And from that henceforth, we should not serve sin. And it says we've been raised, verse 4, to walk, that's behavior, in newness of life. So salvation brings us an identification. A believer does not need to be ignorant of this. Now, here's what's interesting. I'll be honest with you. For years, I don't think I, I, I know I didn't understand this. Never even looked at it. Never thought much about it. Why is that? Because the devil doesn't want you to know this. He does not want you to recognize your identification with Christ at the cross and at the empty tomb. He said, well, I'm not following you. Well, look at what Paul says, verse 3. He says, know ye not? He says, verse 6, knowing that, you know, down in verse 9, knowing that Christ has done this. He's wanting us to know something. And so here's the thing, you know, if you don't know something, that means you're ignorant of it. And there's some things you can be ignorant of. My, my wife is ignorant of all of the different Starbucks-sized cups. You know, you ever go into someone who's a rookie at Starbucks, and they say, can I have a large? And they're like, what? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You know, venti, tall, grande. Tall is small. Grande is large. Venti is, you know, real big. You know, you know, so you can be ignorant of that stuff, and it doesn't really matter. Your husband's there to lead you, to help you. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. And, uh, so there, the point is you can be ignorant of that stuff. It's okay. You know what? I'm, I'm ignorant of tools. I'm not a tool guy. I'm not a car guy. I don't know. One night, uh, you know, uh, they've heard this story before. I, I had a good brother over from our church and they had supper with us and, and we, were, we were getting ready to go do something. And, and we went in the garage and got in the, the truck and, you know, he said, your batteries, man. He goes, let's go get you a battery. I want to get you a battery preacher. He goes, let's get that thing off. And he goes, you can go in my car. We'll go to Walmart. I said, all right. He goes, so he pops the hood. He's looking. He goes, yeah, this thing's like five years old. I said, he goes, go get, go get me tools. I'll take this off. So I went and I got what I was going to use to take the battery out with a set of channel locks, man. And I come back with, he goes, what are these? I said, those are called channel locks. He said, yeah, I know, but I need to take this battery off. I said, that's how we're going to take that battery off. He goes, where's your socket set? I ain't got a socket set. He's like, who doesn't have a socket set? I said, I don't care nothing about a socket set. Don't be even thinking about getting me one for Christmas. I don't want one. I don't know nothing about him. Okay? And I said, so, and he's, so I said, he goes, well, how are you going to take it? I said, look. I said, this thing's adjustable. I got it around the thing, and I'm, I said, see there? You just keep taking it off, putting it on. Half a turn, half a turn. I said, see there? We're getting it off. And he just sitting there. He goes, so he tells his wife later, and she rebuked him. She said, he said, man, pastor knows how to run a divide. He don't know nothing about tools. And she said, I don't think you should be talking about pastor like that. I said, no, it's okay. I said, I'm ignorant of that stuff. 
You know, and many, a lot of men aren't. And I probably should know more, at least a little bit, than I do, but I don't. I'm 48 years old. I don't know. How, you know, you say, well, what were you doing when everybody else was learning how to, you know, use socket sets? I was learning G-runs and guitar, okay? Now, you put a guitar in my hand, I'm not ignorant of that. If you, you know, Jim, kick it off. Here we go. You know, I can handle that. But you put me with a set of tools. I mean, and this guy, he's got those toolboxes you got to climb a ladder to get to the top of, you know. You know, and he's like, you see this right here? They love to show you all these weird things that you, they know you wouldn't know you what this is. You know, it's like, I have no idea. Ignorance. And it's okay to be ignorant about some things. But there's some things when it comes to the spiritual realm, you don't, you can't, you cannot afford to be ignorant. So you remember what Paul t- told the Corinthians? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. So he said, you can't be ignorant of the fact the Holy Ghost lives inside of there. Chapter six. But here in chapter 6 of Romans, he tells the Roman believers and all believers, he said, listen, know you not, don't you know that you died with Christ? You're dead. Now, you know something, let me, let me just time out and say something right here. Some of you will read books about this chapter, and without fail, they will always correct the King James text. I'm a King James Bible believer. I believe it's worded. I, I've got more on my plate than I'll ever get to the bottom of in English. And they'll say things like this. And I'm talking about commentators that I have great respect for who were better Christians than I am. But they'll say it's an unfortunate rendering here where the Bible says, uh, no, you're not, that you're dead. You know, and where it says, you know, uh, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And they all say that, that that's a wrong translation. It needs to say that we have died with Christ. And I, I read that and I think, okay, if I walk down the aisle at a funeral home and this man is dead, you know what I know? If he's dead, it means he died. I know that's deep. But do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to mess with the text. If someone is dead, that's because they died. And they'll spend a page and a half talking about it. should be they died with Christ. They died with Christ. Yes, we're dead with Christ. That means we died with him and we got saved and we are currently dead still. Hallelujah. Your identification is that you died with him and you can't be ignorant of this. If you're ignorant of this, you'll not believe quite right. You'll, you'll have all kinds of confusion in your mind about why am I still seemingly in bondage to sin? Why am I still struggling with this? And, and, and Paul says, you, you have to know this. Do you not know that your old man is dead? Ignorance is deadly. You cannot be ignorant of this. You need to study this. You need to ask God to help you understand this. You need to get a hold of this. Because it will change your life forever. And how you live the Christian life. The identification. You can't be ignorant of it. Identification, preacher, about what? About you're identified in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's as if you died there that day. And that you were buried in that tomb with him. And that God already sees you out of the grave and ascended to heaven with him. What did I sing last night? I'm already over on the other side waiting on my brand new body sitting up there in the heavenly fair at the right side of the father he said well you're not really there well not geographically but in god's accounting system i am and if i'll start believing like that it'll change how i behave because you got to get your belief right before your behavior will be right now i remember reading about in the civil war Everybody says the Civil War was fought over slavery. That was an issue. There's no doubt about it. But it wasn't, there was a bigger thing going on than just that. Okay. And I'm not going to get into all that tonight. And, uh, but I can tell you this, that after the war, one of the uh, effects legally in our country, the government passed the 13th Amendment. They passed the 13th Amendment on December 18th of 1865. The 13th Amendment legally ended slavery in the United States in every, every uh, state in the, in the entire country, in the nation. It was now illegal to own slaves, and slaves were legally freed when that vote was taken, and it was made official legally, December the 18th, 1865. But you know something, I wonder, and I don't know this, but I wonder if there was any... Uh, Slave owners, that when they heard that, they thought, well, I'm going to try to get an extra month worth of service out of these people. So I'm going to keep it from them that legally I have no more power over them. Legally, 
They're no longer a slave. But I don't want them to find this out because if they find this out, they might walk off the farm and not serve me anymore. See what the devil does? He had us in bondage for so long. He wants to get us to stop at Romans 5 and not to dig into Romans 6 and find out legally what's true about us. That we died. We were buried with Christ. We're risen to walk in newness of life. And that's a reality. Maybe if someone said, hey, I just read somewhere where we're free. That we're not slaves anymore. And and that wicked man would come in there and say, no, no, you're still a slave. Look at you. Look where you're living. You're still in the slave quarters. Look at your clothes. You still have torn, ragged clothes on. Look at yourself. You're still a slave. Isn't that what the adversary does? Look at your life. Look at the things you struggle with. Look at how many, if the preacher, if the deacons, if the good men of the church knew about you, what I and God know about you, why you're still a slave. Don't believe all that stuff about you being free. You're not free. There's some Christians that are free, but not you. Look at you. Look at yourself. That, that would be what they would do. Look at you. You're still in your slave clothes. You're still sleeping in slave quarters. So you're not free. But were they free legally? Absolutely. Are you following this? The devil wants to keep you ignorant of this truth. He wants to keep you ignorant. But you know something? The truth shall make you free. Three times, no, you're not. Don't you know this? No, you, you need to know this. Know what? That your identification is with Christ and you are dead with him. Now, what's exciting about that? I don't know if you've ever considered, and we'll see it possibly tomorrow night in a message, but you know what the law demands? The law calls for death, the death penalty. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But once death has taken place, The law has nothing more to say because it's been satisfied. When the Bible says that God the Father shall look upon him uh, when his soul is in travail and shall be satisfied, his wrath was satisfied, justice was upheld, but I'll tell you something else that was satisfied. His law, the demands of the law require death. Well, if I've already died with Christ, what else can the law say to me? Nothing. Nothing. I'm free from the law. Oh, happy condition. (laughs) Jesus has bled and now there's remission. So I'm talking about, Paul says, don't be ignorant of this. He died and you died with him. And he's outside of the realm, the jurisdiction. He's no longer under the jurisdiction of the law. He was born of a virgin, made under the law. And he lived in a perfect, obedient life. Remember Romans 5, 19? And then he obediently followed the Father's will and finished the business and the transaction on the cross. Now stay with me tonight because this is important. Your identification now is hidden in Him. The Spirit of God puts you into Christ. You're in Christ. He's in you. And as far as God the Father is concerned, as far as His law is concerned, amen, you died with Him. That's your identification. And you're raised up right now to walk in newness of life. And he that is dead is freed from sin. And I'll probably remind you this tomorrow night, but I pray a lot at our cemetery there in Danville. It's a beautiful cemetery. It's a quiet place. Lots of trails, lots, lots of big trails with uh, those trees that branch over and kind of make a tunnel. It's a gorgeous place. It's quiet. And you can go there and pray. And people say, that's weird praying in a cemetery. No, I think it's pretty good. That's where the excitement's going to be at when the Lord comes back. I might get over here and, and get in on something really good. Amen. And you're over there, those people don't bother me none, amen. Uh, I was at, <clears throat> in Danville there at that the Memorial uh, Gardens, and, and they put up these new signs. I'm thinking, we spent tax dollars to put these signs up. It says, no firearms allowed on cemetery property. I'm like, why? They're already, already dead. It's a problem. But you know something I've never seen? I've never seen the Danville police pull in to the cemetery and get out and write a ticket, tear it off, and slap it on a tombstone. Why? Those people are dead, and the law is not concerned with them anymore because they're outside. Those dead people have left the jurisdiction of the law. I died with him. I'm out underneath the old master. I'm out underneath the law. I'm out underneath the dominion of sin now. I died with Christ. That's my identification. Now, in verse, here's the amazing thing. In verse 12, look at it with me. He says, let not sin therefore. Okay, so he's referring back to what he's been expounding from verse 3 to verse 11. 
And you know what everybody does when they want to try to, quote, get right and start living, really living the Christian life? They attack a handful of rules or behavior. It's what we would call behavioral modification. And they immediately they go right to their behavior problem. I got a problem here, here, and here, and I'm going to attack those behaviors. Let me just remind you something. Before Paul never, the Holy Ghost never mentions anything about your behavior until you get to verse 12. That's the first time behavior is even brought up. And it's after he gives you this information about your identification that he talks about this great transformation that takes place in verse 12 that is possible. Because he, remember what Brother Jim talked about? God, he's done it. He set it up. It's available. Now he passes the ball to you and says, here's your responsibility. He says, let not sin reign therefore in your mortal body that you should obey it, sin, That you should obey it in the lusts of your flesh. Okay? So your flesh, your mortal body that you're living in tonight, is not to be an instrument for sin to work through any longer. So in verse 12, 13, and 14, he gives you the secret. He tells you, here's how you deal with your behavior. That's the transformation that will happen. But listen, we had an identification from verse 3 to verse 10. But verse 11 is what I want to close with tonight. Because there is a crucial calculation that must be made based on our identification. Our identification with Christ means we're dead with Him. We've died, we're buried, we've been risen to walk. Inside us, a new man has been raised up. The old man was put to death. That's why there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Because the law's been satisfied in our substitute. We're in Him, He's in us. The law has nothing more to it. It can say to us. We're outside of it. We're out from underneath its jurisdiction. We're out from underneath its condemnation. Glory to God. Our identification says, listen, you're so identified with Jesus Christ, His death is your death. It's as if you died that day. His burial is your burial. His resurrection is your resurrection. There's a new man raised up on the inside of your mortal body. And he says, so don't let sin reign, therefore, in your mortal body. That's the transformation that happens. But listen, that identification will only help you when you make the proper calculation about it. And the calculation is mentioned in verse 11. Look in your Bible with me. Have I still got everybody's attention? Everybody okay? This is, this is uh, important, crucial stuff to know. This is the greatest chapter on Christian on vic- the victorious Christian life, in my opinion, anywhere in the Bible. And he says in verse 11, Likewise reckon, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is crucial. You know what it means to reckon? It means to count it so. It means to believe it by faith. Now you are dead, period. You say, I don't feel dead. We're not working off feelings just yet. (laughs) We're dealing with facts. We're dealing with this is true of you, whether you're putting it into practice in your life or not. You as a born again believer are dead with Christ and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. One guy tried to tell me, no, no, what that means, preachers, we're dying daily. And I understand that verse, but that's not what we're talking about here. He, you don't bury a man that's dying. Well, if you do, they frown on that. That's right, brother Tierbach. That's not really what we want to do. Listen, this man that we're talking about, the old man here, has died. He's been buried. And there's a new man raised up in his place in your mortal body. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's Christ in you. I know this is theology, but that's what we need to know. Okay, so there's a calculation. Whether you reckon it's so in your life or not, doesn't make it so. You're to depend on it because it is so. And whether you depend on it or not, you say, well, I don't feel it. Well, you know something? God told Abraham when he was 99 years old, that he was going to father a child. And he believed it by faith. I doubt he felt like he could pull it off. In fact, his wife started laughing about it. He's thinking, how are we going to have it? But you know what he did? He didn't worry about his feelings. He believed it by faith. You're going to get down the road with God. Faith, it is impossible to please God without faith. So he's calling upon you to believe the gospel still. you got to believe what? you got to believe that you die with Christ and you're raised to walk in newness of life. That has to be the mindset before you can have victory over sin, before your behavior can be changed and transformed. you got to believe this. you got to want to be free from sin. And you are, 
And she said, I don't feel dead to sin. He didn't talk anywhere in there about feeling dead to it. You can, you're still very much alive to temptation in your mortal body. But he has given you a power that will help you. You've got to count it so. You've got to calculate this. And, you know, here's the thing we need to know. And uh, I asked our church this one time. And I said, and, and I did it on purpose. I said, how many of you know you're just an old vile sinner saved by the grace of God? Everybody's hand went to the ceiling on that one. And I kept preaching. I set them up. I'll be honest with you. I said, how many of you know you're a saint? And only a third of the hands went up and they went up like this. And so a man immediately, and this is, I appreciate him saying this. He shot down the aisle to me. He goes, brother, I don't want to put my hand up. So I'm a saint. He goes, that's arrogant. I said, no, it's not. It's no more arrogant. It's you believing what the Bible says about you. Okay, you believed it when it said you were a condemned, guilty sinner. You say, amen, that's true. Well, now that you've been born again and made righteous, made a new creature in Christ, amen, made uh, uh, the righteousness of God in him, now that you've been made that, then you can stand up with as much authority on the word of God and say, but that's what I was. That's not what I am now. Now I'm a saint. And you ain't got to wait for the Pope to vote on anything. It's true because that, and listen, if you get that in your mind and you start reading the New Testament, you'll be amazed how many times the believers are called saints, saints, the saints, the saints in Christ. Now, I'm not talking, you say, well, are you saying sinless perfection? No, I said saints and we're saints that struggle with sin. But primarily our identification is no longer vile sinners. We're saints because of him. And what he's done. Listen, the Bible says it lists off all of those sinners there in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. And it says such were some of you. That's what you were. But now in Christ Jesus, you're washed, you're justified, you're sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no pride in that. You're saying, I am what I am by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. I'm dead. I'm alive in Christ. I'm a saint. That old life, I'm done with it. You know what's amazing to me? You look it up sometime on your own. Luke chapter 7. The woman from the city, which uh, the Bible says, the, the Holy Ghost and everything says, was a sinner. She comes in there to, to Simon the Pharisee's house where Jesus Christ is at. Jesus Christ is there. The woman gets down. She's already been saved by faith. She's weeping because of what he's done for her. She's washing his feet with her tears and, and wiping his feet with her hair. Amen. And the Bible says a woman's hair is her glory. And that's where your glory will be when you meet Jesus Christ is at his feet. And she's down there doing all this. And Simon the Pharisee says in his heart, if this man were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman toucheth him. For this woman is a sinner. That's not what the Holy Ghost said two verses before. This woman was. Things been changed. Something has happened. Now, religion will say, I know who you are and I know what you are. You're just a sinner. You know something? We need to quit talking about ourselves like that. We need to start saying, no, I'm actually, I'm a saint that struggles with sin. And we need to start believing what God said is true about us. And I close with this. I got a, you know, the Bible says in Job chapter 12, uh, ask now the beasts and they shall teach thee. You know, animals can teach you a lot. Creation can teach you a lot. And uh, we got a couple of dogs at the house. You say, what kind of dogs are they? They're, they're just a mix. They're just what we call mutts. There's all kinds of, you know, you can see some of this in them, some of that. One is black, one is white. Because we wanted to be sure to appease everybody in our society, you know. <laughs> and uh, th- these dogs, they, it, it, the deal was the vet that's in our church, uh, the, they were supposed to bring the first dog for us to look at, and then the, next, the second dog the next day. But somehow or another, somebody got the idea to bring them on the same day. And I got a little girl going, Daddy, can't we have them both? And it's like, you know, what am I going to say? No, no, we're just going to take one. So we ended up keeping both dogs. We called them Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill. So Jack and Jill have been at our house now for over three years. And, you know, really it's a good thing that we have both of them because they keep each other company. And, uh, but we had a snow come through Danville, uh, there in central Kentucky a couple of years ago. And I mean, it was, it was pretty good snow. There's seven, eight inches on the ground. It was good sledding weather. And we'd been out, you know, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere. It was iced over. It was freezing. So we went out, we were sledding down the steps of the front porch and onto the front yard across the road and trying to get over a ditch that, that doesn't work well for dad anymore. 
but we were doing all that. We had a great day out there. And so we're, we're sitting there, uh, you know, we did a devotion. Everybody's ready for bed. We're playing the last one, last round of Uno. And, uh, we're all done with well, the boys start saying, I'm, and they're not wanting to go to bed. It's 1030 and they're saying, come on, dad, let's go outside. Let's go outside. And I thought, you know something, uh, you, you only get these opportunities once in a while. Let me encourage you so that you don't weep too hard when you hear cats in the cradle anymore, dad, go ahead and do those things that are inconvenient and make good memories with your boys and your girls when they're at home. Okay. And, uh, so I said, uh, I, I thought I'm going to do something that's just going to, they're, it's going to blow their mind. They were just wanting to play another round of Uno. But instead, I said, y'all, put your clothes on. Let's get your winter clothes on. We're going back outside, and we're going to sled in the dark. That sounds dangerous. That sounds like someone's going to the trauma unit tonight because we're going to be sledding in the dark. And so uh, we get outside, and um, we're all getting ready. We've got scarves on. I mean, it's dark, and they're getting. you can hear the scraping of the sleds going up the hill. And Emily, she comes to me. She's the dog's owner, the dog's owner and she says, Dad, can, can we bring Jack and Jill with us? I said, absolutely, that'd be fun. And now we use the uh, shock collars on our dogs. And some of you heard me tell this. I don't care. Tell Peter for me. Uh, we put, I want them to stay in my yard, so we turn that sucker to death penalty. And they're not leaving out of the yard. Uh, in other words, it's going to, you know, and they're going to not do that a second time. Amen. Don't be fading it back to three and a half, you sissy. Put it up there, they'll learn. And so we got these, you know, shock collars on them. And so I said, yeah, that'd be great. So she reaches down and she frees them both. Bam, off with the shock collar. We go up the road and we're sledding. And here comes Jill with us, buddy. She's leaping over the sleds and she's just running alongside the sled having a blast. I mean, the snow is thick. The ice is slippery. It's just a wonderful night. But while we're sledding back and forth in front of the house coming down the road, I can hear this whining going on that's getting on my nerves. Because I look up in the yard, I hadn't really paid any attention. And as we come sledding down the hill, Jack would be running along the line where he normally gets. And he's whining and barking and yapping and yelping. And he's going back and forth. Now Jill's down there enjoying herself. He's up there back and forth. And I I even got down and said, come on, Jack. Come on. It's okay. You're not going to get shocked. You're free. Come on. He wouldn't do it. And he just kept whining. Kept barking, yapping. And it's like, you know, so finally I look up and, and after 20 minutes, he's wore out. He climbs the steps onto the porch and he puts his, his paws out like that and just goes. <laughs> depressed. Ask now the beast and they shall teach thee. I looked up and the Lord says, that is 85% of the Baptists that you preach to. Depressed, whining, lots and finally giving up and said, I can't serve the Lord and putting his head down. Now, listen, both dogs were free. What was the difference? One believed it and one did not. And they behaved based on what they believed. The one dog was free. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. One dog, both dogs are free. That's true of every born-again believer in here tonight. You're dead with Christ. You're raised to walk in newness of life. He that is dead is freed from sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You've been brought out from underneath its jurisdiction. You no longer have to obey it. You don't have to obey the old master. He's he's out of the, the old man died. You're a new man with a new master. What are you doing? Obeying the lust of your flesh and the old tempter who's saying, come on, just do it one more time. No, you're dead. You don't have to listen anymore to that. And if, you, and if you don't believe it, though, your behavior will reflect it. You're going to be a miserable, depressed Baptist Christian. Sitting up there like Jack did with his head down, watching everybody else enjoy themselves. And there was no reason that he couldn't be down there enjoying himself with the rest of the family. Only because of what he believed affected his behavior. You'll never behave any better than what you believe. And you know... Too many Christians just don't, just don't get this, and maybe they don't want to. I don't know. But you're free. You're a new man in Christ. You say, well, that, that sounds great, Brother Altop. I, I appreciate you pointing that out and talking about all of that, but you don't know what I've done. Yeah, see, that's the old master telling you, well, you can't go back now. You have messed up too much. 
That's true of a lot of Christians, but you, 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 for years, you know what you're hung up on. You know what your secret sin is. You're a failure. That's the old man. Listen, one time I came into our sanctuary and there was a little, little toddler, not really a toddler, about a four-year-old on that piano, you know, clink, clink, clink. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, that, that's a, that's a, that's not a toy. That's a tool. That's an instrument. If you don't know how to play now, we let anybody get up there and play that can play that's learning. But if you're just up there banging around on keys, well, the little girl stopped and she looked and I could tell she was thinking, hmm. And here's what she said. She said, but you aren't my boss. I thought, don't say that to a pastor of an independent Baptist church, <laughs> not here in the sanctuary. Right. Now that's not the point, but here's the thing. You know what we ought to be doing when the old adversary comes along and says, Hey, just go ahead and do this again. You know, you're a slave to it. That's all you'll ever be. But you look over and say, you know something? Who are you talking to? Because last I read, you're not in charge of me anymore. And I don't have to listen to you. Because I'm dead. The old man that you used to push around, that you controlled, he died. I'm a new man and I got a new master. And he's equipped me and I believe it. I'm dead to that old life. I'm dead. I'm dead to the the gossip. I'm dead Amen, to, to my, my anger, being controlled by my fleshy anger. I'm dead to this porn habit. I'm dead to these things. That old man's dead. I'm a new man. You say, yeah, but you've messed up. Yeah, but that's where the blood comes in. The blood cleanseth us from all sin. And this, it says cleanseth. That means it's present tense. It keeps on doing it. Now, it's not just a one-time cleanse. It's a daily thing. And so God says, hey, get up, believe who you are in Christ. And start walking like who you are in Christ. Quit listening to that old man. Quit listening to that, to that old master that used to boss the old man around. And you say, but we still have our flesh. And I don't want to get into this too much tonight, but the flesh is not the same thing as the old man. The old man is dead. The flesh is what you're living in. Okay? And when it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, notice it, what it didn't say. Let not sin therefore reign in you. It can't. Because the new you is on the inside of the flesh. You have a responsibility to keep your flesh in check. And you now have the power to do so. And you can be like Jill, jumping around and having a good time and enjoying her freedom. Or you can be free and pouting on the porch. Or whining in the front yard. Amen. I'd rather probably have you pout than whine. That whining gets on everybody's nerves. I was kind of glad when, when Jack gave up and just went ahead and pouted. But what's sad, remember church, he was free too. But he didn't believe it. He would not step out on faith and go across that threshold. He thought, I'm going to get shocked right here. If he'd have stepped across, he'd have found like, hey, I didn't get shocked. Take another step. Still didn't get shocked. Another step. And just keep taking one step after another. In that newness of life. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How? You're dead. No longer controls you. You know who learned that? A great biblical example. And he put it into practice. A guy named the Apostle Peter. Simon, Simon. He said, Satan had desired to sift you as wheat. And by the way, I'll remind you that you is plural. The devil was trying to sift all 12 disciples. He said, but I have prayed for thee. We have a high priest that prays for us. Now, what did Peter do? He went out there. You know the story. He's cursing. People saying, you know him. And he begins to curse and deny that he even knew the Lord. The third time he does it, Jesus Christ is coming through the courtyard. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, I told you. I told you that's what you'd do. He just looks over with those eyes of compassion, looks at Peter, and all of it came flooding back. I don't personally believe that Jesus Christ is going to be yelling and screaming at us at the judgment seat of Christ. I think those fiery eyes will just look into us and we'll confess everything that we regret that we could have done that we didn't. But Peter is down. But boy, in Acts chapter 2 and 3, he's back up. And what did he say? It's always amazing to me in Acts 3 what he preached. He said, you denied the Holy One. It's like, well, two months ago you did too and you did it and you cussed. We didn't cuss. We denied him, but at least we didn't cuss when we did it. No, he didn't even care. You know why? That's dead. That's old. That's history. I'm a new man in Jesus Christ. Got fresh power, and I'm going to preach to you about your sin. That was your sin. Yeah, but that's all been dealt with. That man's dead. There's a new man in me. 
You denied the Holy One of Israel. You see, don't ever get to that place where you say, I'm too far in the back of the line. I've gone too far back. No, believe what Romans 6 says. Reckon it so. Count it to be so. I died with Christ. Those temptations, sin will no longer have dominion over me. I'm going to remember today that I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. His death's my death. His resurrection's my resurrection. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to live in the newness of life. That's available for every one of us. Now, what about you? What are you struggling with? Bring it before God and then claim the victory. And say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, this is, I'm done. This is it. Tonight, it ends here. He doesn't have any more dominion over me. This is over. I'm going to live free because I am free. I'm going to live what I am. I'm going to be what I am. I'm going to count on it, and it's going to change your life. Amen. Brother Clark, would you come?